in John chapter 4 together and the amazing encounter of our Lord with the Samaritan woman. So uh, as we begin, let's ask the Lord's help on our time tonight. Father, we uh, gather joyfully, uh, expectantly to hear and learn from your word. Bless this time, Father, as we gather for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Well, we are uh, considering the Samaritan woman. If you remember, our Lord had to go, it was necessary for him to go to uh, Samaria. And there he met the the woman by the well and they had the conversation and he asked for water and uh, then said, oh, if you only knew the water I could offer. And sir, give me that water. And then remember, he identified himself. Now, this drawing is, this picture may be inaccurate. Because I don't know that the text says that she actually gave him water. So um, this would be artistic liberty, okay? And we'll, we, we allow that liberty to some extent. Um, so the woman said to him, I know. When all that discussion was going on, he said, you know, you're gonna, the time is coming where it's not really a matter of where you worship, but it's going to be in spirit, from the heart, and in truth, and according to truth. She said, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ, no, that's a good uh, that tells us a couple things. Uh, John is writing for a uh, audience that's at least mixed. You don't have to tell a Jewish audience what Messiah means, and so by giving the and Christ or Christos is the exact equivalent to uh, Mashiach. It means anointed one. So, but anyway, John throws that in just so we know what he's talking about. So she said, we know Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, or literally the one speaking to you, I am. And again, that's, uh, I think, a reference to his divine name. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush, whom shall I send, whom shall I send is sending me. And from the burning bush, the expression came out, I am is my name. Well, that's what it looks like in Hebrew. A yeah. Notice the sandals are off. Can you see the sandals off kind of near the bush? Uh, here's another depicting of what it might have looked like. Again, sandals off. And what, Does Moses look a little old to you there? How old is he? 80 years old. Do you see the staff he's got in his hand? If he didn't have that, he wouldn't be able to get back off, his, off the ground, right? So. <laughs> this is more accurately, almost precisely what it looked like. Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, uh, of course. He look Pardon me? He doesn't look 80. No, no. Yeah, he doesn't look 80. He looked awfully good for 80, actually, in the movie. It was just, wow. And so uh, Jesus spoke to her and said, I am, I am, I am the Messiah, and I am more than that. So you see her shock. She'd already recognized him as a, as a prophet, and now as a prophet, he announces he's the Messiah. At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. We're now in our passage for this Lord's Day. And uh, they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said to him, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? 
The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the man, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and came to him. So first of all, let's just notice, what is it the disciples notice when they come on the scene? He's talking to a woman. What's so noticeable about that? Yeah, the Jews didn't have much to do with Samaritans. I guess if you think about it, when they went in to, to buy in the store, there had to be some kind of communication. Uh, Jewish men were very reticent to speak to a woman other than their wife. And even then, in public, not much. A rabbi just didn't talk to women. And here he is alone with, at the well with this woman and having a conversation. So they noticed that. But it says they didn't ask, what do you seek to her? Or, or what are you talk, why are you talking with her? Why don't they ask? Hmm? They'd have to talk to her. Oh, they would have to talk to her. Yeah, good, yeah. You ask her what you're doing. You're just engaged in the conversation. Why don't they ask Jesus, why are you talking to her? Yeah, don't thank you, thank you. You have to be careful about going beyond the scripture. What, do you, what might be some reasons? They're learning to um, go along and realizing they don't understand everything. Okay, so they're kind of, um, they're, they're learning to get along, to go along, recognize they don't understand everything, and, and maybe a little deference to Jesus, you know, and, um, okay, well, if, if you know, who are they to call him into question? Now, that's not going to stop Peter later on, right? <laughs> but, but for a moment, maybe they're just so aghast at the whole thing. But, but, but yes, it seems like they're, they're not going to meddle in this. So this is really surprising to them. But uh, yes, that's one of those things. Okay, Marty, when we get to heaven, we'll grab one of the disciples and say, so why didn't you guys ask him? Um, okay. Okay. Uh, and where had the disciples been, by the way? They, they came on the scene. Okay, they had been in town buying uh, food, uh, buying something to eat. Uh, so one suggestion is they found the local subway. Um, you know, probably they got a good helping of hummus and some bread, and here we go. Uh, then the woman, it says, left her water part water pot and went into the city and said to the men come see a man who told me all things that I ever did could this be the Christ the woman left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men etc why did she leave the water pot pardon me it was heavy it was heavy and she wanted to go fast okay good what other thoughts Interesting, yeah. All of a sudden, there's something a lot more important than water. Now, again, in the ancient world, water's a big deal. You come back from the well without water, you can say, well, I forgot. <laughs> there's, what else were you doing that you forgot the water? But, but honestly, that's just all of a sudden water, which is essential, is irrelevant. That, I, but, and I, if I'm making a point of it, I just John makes a point of it. She left her water pot. Um, that, you know, that would just be, that, that's stark. 
That's surprising. You know, some even want to suggest, well, she'd filled it up with water and left it for Jesus, but I think that's going beyond what the text says. I think she just, all of a sudden, that was the last thing on her mind. And that's kind of a good reminder to us, I think, about how we think about our priorities. When we meet the Lord, it does tend to reorder things, doesn't it? And if you remember, especially if you're a little bit older when you came to know Christ, things that you once thought were very important become profoundly irrelevant. Um, okay. And there we see her taking off. Uh, so I'm not sure if she took off her sandals to run faster or maybe she left them on because there's lots of rocks, but this woman is moving. Okay. Pardon me? Yeah, Jesus looks impressed, doesn't he? And he's smiling. He looks pleased. Do you remember, if you've seen, if you've seen recently, they looked again, the episode of Jesus with the woman at the well in the chosen remember she says i'm going to tell everybody and he was like and he says to her I'm, i was counting on that <laughs> that's in the sense you think about it this was a divine appointment mm-hmm. um, you asked us to compare his conversation with nicodemus and and the woman at the well yes and the main thing i thought about is it doesn't say what nicodemus did after he talked with christ and and here she went and told everybody and it made me wonder what happened after that. Very good point. Now, we do see him back at the end, at the at funeral. Uh, don't we see him in the Sanhedrin uh, raising a question, but be very discreet. Kind of what we call a secret disciple. But discreetly saying, well, do we, does our law condemn something without having a trial? Instead of being like her, he told, you know, he's the, he's the Messiah. And so notice again, here's what she says. So that's a good point. I think we could have, um, if we all put our list together, I think we'd have come up with a pretty excellent list. I saw some, uh, Cindy had a really great list. Mark had a couple of ideas, but Cindy had a really good list. And, uh, and it was just, you know, there's some good things to see here. Come see a man, she says, who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, here's one of those things, and I, I didn't look at a lot of translations on this one. In the Greek, you can, I've mentioned this a number of times, you can ask a question in a way that indicates you expect a negative answer. That's, this is what's going on here. This isn't the Christ, is it? Why do you think she expresses it that way? Okay, gives her some options. Her a source. So, so if this woman came into town saying, let me announce who the Messiah is. Yeah. So maybe discreetly and wisely saying, well, this couldn't be the Messiah, could it? But she just said, he told, you know, this Jew told me everything about me. So that might be a very discreet way. And I think sometimes it's good to be a little circumspect in, 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 Leading someone to understand something, asking questions and letting them discover it. Good, good. Um, so what is her message? Come and see. Uh, here's this man who, again, the, and here's the, I think that's what's really startling to her and startling to them. A Jew that no one knows You'll give me an awe moment. 
Okay, excuse me. Thank you so much. Uh, a Jew that nobody knows <laughs> comes into town and tells the backstory on a Samaritan woman. That's got them all, uh, you know, who can this be? A prophet? Is it the Messiah? And so they went out and came to him. And by the way, here we see when the disciples, uh, I think this is the disciples coming on the scene. And so the disciples said, uh, in the meantime, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I'll go ahead and show that to you. I have food to eat of which you do not know. And therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. What's Jesus doing here when he's answering them, when they say eat and I have food you don't know? What's he doing here? I take it as, and he's, he's teaching by confusion. He's, he's getting them asking questions. I could just imagine one of my seminary professors hearing that and saying, what are you talking about teaching by confusion? Whoever gave you that idea? Um, so, so he's talking about food, but he's not talking about food, right? Okay, good. Um, so what's his point to them? Pardon me? You don't get it. You don't get it? Yeah, okay, good. What else? What's he, tra- what's he trying them to, to get them to understand? It's not all about the physical. Pardon me? It's not all about the physical. It, it's not all about the physical. It's not all about food. It's, um, yeah, there's more important things than life. You know, I, can't, I, I don't know. Can you imagine you're, You've traveled across the country and, 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 and you finally get to see the, the Mona Lisa or something. And as you're just standing there and starting to absorb, or maybe you're, uh, you're in the Sistine Chapel and you're, you're just trying to study and think about all that's up there, and, and your, your traveling companion hands you a hot dog and says, Hey, isn't this great? You know, <laughs> a hot dog? That's, what are you doing with that thing? We'll, we can eat later. And you talk to the lady, and they're both more understanding about the spirit. And it looks like the disciples weren't either. Yeah. And so, so, again, notice what Jesus will do. He uses a physical concept uh, birth, water, food, but gives it a spiritual side to it. And, and, uh, and just, but he uses that to compare the concept. Food, what does food do? It strengthens me, it, it satisfies. And what strengthens and satisfies Jesus is to do the will of his Father. So, the way I record that is, or put that down, obeying the Lord is the most important thing and the most satisfying thing in life. Um, How do I get obeying the Lord from that? Pardon me? Yeah, to do the will of him who sent me. Is submitting his will to the Father and, and saying, and, and here's a, a really interesting thing he's showing his disciples. Even the Messiah is under authority. And there's something profoundly satisfying about doing God's will and knowing you're doing God's will. Even if you're going through physical hardship or deprivation, knowing this is exactly what God wants me to do. 
And so I said, that's, that's, that, that's my greatest satisfaction. Any other thoughts on this little section here? Yes. The fact that she said, is it, is, could this be the Christ? Uh, if she had uh, said, I found the Messiah, then they're, they're going to be judging, is it really the Messiah? But is, could it be? Then they start looking, uh, is it? And questioning, so they're more... Again, just the wisdom of effective teaching and, and conversation like this. Sometimes we feel like my job is to smack them between the eyes. And, and once I've given the presentation of the gospel, I'm done. Notice how Jesus, um, he goes fishing for men. You know, he's got, he's got a lure. He's got a bait. He, he's, he's drawing them to understand. And so, so that's good for us in any capacity. Uh, that's good for us in evangelism. That's good for us as we're raising our children to try and draw them so that they're making the conclusions. Uh, one of my, well, Howard Hendricks, you've heard of him. You know, he's loved to teach Bible study methods and all this. And, and, and he talked about, you know, you know you're, you'll have people come up to you in church and say, look what I saw in the Bible. And he said, now one answer might be, well, yeah, I saw that 42 years ago. And he said, that's not the right answer. The right answer, you saw that? And then he, in typical Howard Hendricks, he starts frothing at the mouth. You saw that? That's incredible. Um, so this is about, somewhere between the two, but drawing out so that they're owning it. Good, good, good practice here. So there's the questions we're, we're saying. Um, let me ask you another question here as we look at the text or as we move on. Now Jesus goes on to say, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields for they are already white for the harvest. What's the idea? Why is it, what's this, what is he doing here with the four months? Don't you say there are four months? Then comes the harvest. Hmm? It's a season. Okay, it looks like a seasonal thing, okay. Pardon me? And you can predict. Okay, and it's kind of predictable. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm. And it takes time. It takes time. Here comes someone who knows something about farming. <laughs> you know, it's like kids sometimes, you know, are we there yet? You know, uh, a farmer understands you put out the seed. Um, now, of course... You know the school experiments? You put the little seed in there, and the kids are always looking in and sometimes digging up the seed constantly to see, is it doing anything? You know, it's going to take a little while for it to show. Uh, two, let me give you two thoughts on this. One discussion is, uh, this is just a proverb. Four months to the harvest. The problem is, in Israeli agriculture, from seed to harvest was more like six months. So what's the four months? That doesn't quite make sense. So it seems like better what he's saying is, um, we're four months, as he's talking to his disciples, harvest season is in four months. Okay, and so a lot of us know kind of that. I've been surprised some will, um, will be able to mention, especially if they live in places like Florida, they know when hurricane season is. I don't think most people in New Mexico 
Well, they probably don't know what a hurricane is, let alone that there's a season for it. Oh, you know, so, but no, it's, if you, in this world, man, harvest was everything. I mean, the whole world, you know, if you live in a farming community, um, you know, you listen to the morning radio and they're telling you what pork bellies are going for on the market. You know, there's, there's just this, uh, the whole community is aware of it. Um, in Texas, Houston in particular, seems like the whole community is aware of what the price of oil is for a barrel. Um, well, in that world, boy, the barley and wheat harvests were everything. And so he says, you're, you say it's four months to the harvest. Harvest would be sometime around uh, April, May. So that tells us this, is, this visits around December, January when he's uh, here in the Samaritan Mountains. So that, that becomes helpful as we try to walk through the life of Jesus. Because the last real clear marker... And I'm starting to get off into the weeds again. Um, I'll just say this. The last marker we had was the Passover in Jerusalem. Spring. Now he's, um, now we see him four months from the next spring. Okay? So that means he's, he was eight months between Jerusalem and the baptizing. Okay? So John passed over that all in a couple of verses. But that's just going to, if we're, you know, careful students that want to tell us how long the ministry of Jesus was, we're... we're we're uh, eight months into his public ministry. Okay, we'll get off of that. <laughs> um, and, and then he says, Now behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields, for already white for harvest. What do you think white for harvest? What's he, what, what do you mean weeds, the fields are white for harvest? Pardon me? Right, pardon me? Ready to reap because they turn whitish. Okay, farmer, do they turn kind of whitish? Well, you don't grow grain. I mean, you don't grow barley and no, wheat. It's a certain color. You could look out and say it's time. Yeah. yeah. My gardening is such that I I know it's time to mow because whatever I planted is is brown. <laughs> so that's kind of my color. So maybe white to harvest. You know, kind of. He's saying, now he's, he's not saying, he's talking about in four months, but here he says right now it's harvest time. But here's the concept, white for harvest. He might, you know, um, you know, he's born in Bethlehem, which is the southern part of Israel. You know, and in the south they grow cotton. Not in Israel, but he might have thought of uh, white to harvest. Maybe he's thinking, the cotton harvest. He did grow up for a while in Egypt, and they do have cotton, right? Uh, probably not. Maybe he was thinking like this. There's white for harvest. Now, what is that harvest? What is that crop? Our farmer missed it. Frosted mini wheats. See? There they are. This is, this is where they came from. <laughs> Mark's thinking, I know what I'm having for lunch or for dinner when I get home. Get some frosted mini-wheats out. Okay. Well, here's another interesting thought. You know, so it's, he says it's harvest time. Uh, it's white unto harvest. Again, that's just everybody knew the farming community, right, in that sense. But, but here's another thought. Here is a procession of Samaritans. 
Like I said, there's 700 to 1,000 Samaritans today. Uh, in this case, they're making a pilgrimage up to one of their, uh, I believe this is the Passover. Um, well, that's, it's a pilgrimage marking the end of the Passover season. But do you notice that that would kind of look like uh, a field of white? Uh, and here's another look. Um, now, they, now, this is, this is their uh, religious garb. Okay, In other words, for the holiday, everybody wears white. But, uh, but if you've ever seen a lot of Middle Easterners in their gown, you, know, kind of, you could imagine it would look like a... And as they're moving, it kind of might look like a ripe field as they came along. And he's trying to talk, again, physical, spiritual. Um, he's talking about harvest, but he's not talking about the harvest harvest. He's talking about the harvest. Um, one more picture I just thought very apropos for us. Uh, here they are, the Samaritans. What are they doing? Roasting. Roasting. Exactly. They are roasting the lamb for their Passover meal. This is how we're going to do it this year at Terrell Bible Church. We're going to dig a really big pit. Um, Y'all, yeah, they, they, I don't know if it's, it's only certain ones, but very oh, lots of men, I've seen pictures of them where they've got these big uh, roasting, kind of like a uh, skewer, and they put the, the lamb on it, and then, but they're putting it down into this, Big fire pit. So, by the way, in case you have certain interests in that, we probably could use volunteers to help with the cooking. It will not look like this, but the lamb does need to be cooked. Um, so here's what's interesting. This is still going on today. Okay. So, uh, and, and, and one of the things, I talk about religious garb. I just noticed, I've looked at this picture several times. But notice this careful religious hat he's wearing. <laughs> Look, he's, he's got a very religious ball cap he's wearing. At least it's not backwards, okay? You know, but, but so there's the... But, but also, I don't know. Let's see if I can go back. I just, this is totally unrelated. Uh, yeah. If you look at these hats these guys are wearing, and this may be, I may be totally wrong, but do you see how it's kind of a... It's kind of, and here, this guy over here, I don't know if that'll show up. It looks like the kind of red beanie up. It looks um, like, I'm wondering to me if this shows Turkish influence. Have you ever seen the Turkish fez? Uh, because the Ottoman Empire ruled over this region for many centuries. The Ottomans were the Turks. And so I wonder if that's why they wear those hats instead of the ball caps. And, and I'm going to come back out of the weeds here. Okay, back to our text. So he said, um, let's go back to the text just a little bit more to our passage. So do, do you not say there's still are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. Look at the fields. They're already white for the harvest. The harvest isn't in four months. Now is harvest season. But he's not talking about harvest. He's talking about harvest. And then he goes on and says, And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. 
In this, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So I've got a little guy here looking at this with us. And I've got to ask you, let's look at this passage and just, just do some observing or maybe asking even questions. What are some things, what's going on? Do you have any questions or thoughts as you read these verses? <clears throat> what's he talking, you know, what, what kind of thoughts come to mind? You're reading along in your Bible. Worse, you've got to teach a Sunday school passage on this Sunday. It's Friday night. Maybe it's Saturday morning. <laughs> but um, what, is, what are you supposed to glean from these, these words in this text? Yes. The one who reaps and the one who brings someone um, to the Lord and understanding that person then has eternal life. So that would be the fruit that he gets. Okay, so the one who reaps can bring, uh, brings that person to eternal life, and that's a fruit. Okay. Dennis. Um, to me, it's kind of like it doesn't matter personally whether I witness to somebody or whether I have the opportunity, um, God's given me the opportunity to lead them to the Lord, I'm being faithful to His Word regardless. And that's what's really important. And leave the results up to Him. Okay, so, so there's the sower, the one who puts out the seed. There's the reaper, the one who, who gathers. Um, can you have a harvest without eat, both of them? So both are important. I mean, you could be the best harvester in town. If someone hasn't sown, there's nothing to harvest. On the other hand, if you sow and no one harvests, what a waste of seed. You could have eaten it. And so both are needed. Both are, are, are essential. And we, we need to see ourselves sometimes we're the sower and sometimes we're the reaper. Okay, good. What else do you see here? Okay, so there's just the blessing and privilege of, of, of reaping, okay, and gathering the fruit for eternal life. Um, if you've ever led someone to Christ, uh, there's a certain joy in, in being a part of that, and it's a, a privilege to watch um, someone come to spiritual life. Mm-hmm. So which are these guys, what is it these guys are doing right now? Reaping. Reaping. So he's saying, um, I sent you to reap, you didn't, and you didn't plant the seeds. So, so here comes the harvest, and you didn't even do the back-breaking seed planting. And so what he's saying is, like I said, right now you would say the wheat field, the barley, of course barley comes first, then the wheat. Um, you think four months to the harvest, I'm telling you, it's harvest time. And as he looks out, here, here's this host of Samaritans heading towards them. And he says, the fields are white for harvest. And you didn't even sow. You get the joy of reaping. So, there's a good question. Who is the sower? Who sowed if, if it's not the disciples? 
God. Barb has spent time in Sunday school. Anyone want to suggest Jesus? Okay, go ahead. Samaritan woman went to them and brought. Okay, Samaritan woman's doing some sewing. Okay. Some of the biblical prophets, maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you think they've had any awareness of John the Baptist? You know, how much do the Samaritans? And if they did, where do you think that would have come from? Do you think they? How would they know about John the Baptist? Instagram. <laughs> Maybe other pilgrims passing through. You said that Josephus said that the Galilean Jews passed through Samaria. Yeah. So Galileans may may, may have gone down to hear John the Baptist, and then come back, and as they're just talking, have you ever noticed that sometimes you might they might have stopped in uh, Samaria? Done some grocery shopping. They're buying some bananas and some bread for the road, and um, and they're talking. And the person who's selling it to him is hearing all this stuff. Can you believe John says he's not the Messiah, but the words get ready because the Messiah is coming. And you know, so maybe all that was part of the and the prophets. And yeah, um, think about that uh, as you continue to think about this passage for Sunday morning. But that's a very good question. Who's the sower? We know who the reapers are. Okay. Good. Good. Good observation of the text. Making, think about the text. Here's another passage for you. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word, the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. When they said to the woman, Now we believe because of what you said, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Uh, What do you you see when you look at that passage? What, What are some of your observations? Okay, not just because of her. I mean, so they wouldn't have gone out to hear him if, if they hadn't listened to her, but they, now it's not secondhand, firsthand. Okay, good. What else? He stayed with them for two days. Now, Josephus says the Galileans would pass through this region. I can't imagine very many Jews ever lodged in Samaria, and not for two days. Wow. That's incredible. It's incredible on the Samaritans welcoming him, and it's incredible on Jesus. And you could just imagine the disciples... Uh, how awkward that must have felt for them. How we, what have we signed up for? We're, we're, we're staying at a Motel 6 in Samaria? This is, this is, oh, by the way, where would they stay? Yeah, in homes. Very, you know, there were very, inns back then were awful. 
And so they would, that meant they were actually staying in, as guests in Samaritan homes. Wow, wow. That's shocking. Now, so that, but now this will not be the character. You, you don't see a lot of Samaritan outreach in the rest of Jesus' ministry, but this was remarkable. Um, how would you describe the response to Jesus overall? And, and what, what do we see about this harvest? Was it a good one or poor? Looks like it's an abundant harvest. Many more. And the whole community basically is okay with them staying. Stunning. Um, yeah, how, those disciples, what do you think? Reactions? What do you think they would have? Yeah. <laughs> they probably tell you, you stay awake. Did they stay too? They must have stayed with him. We're with Jesus, so we're staying. I'm quite confident they were passing the hand sanitizer all night long. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, this, this is stunning. So when is the, uh, the next time we see ministry happening in this area? Hmm? I don't see anything necessarily in in this yeah in in the Samaria where is where is if I can help you um, did you have a thought or were you just scratching your ear <laughs> I thought I saw a hand go up if I can help you yes ma'am the good okay he tells a story about the good Samaritan I don't know if we're actually ministering there was the Samaritan who healed of leprosy. Um, but it, it's not, we don't really see ministry here again until Acts chapter 8. Remember when Philip comes here and, and there is a great response. Remember Jesus said, go make disciples, um, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. So they went and there was a harvest again. Uh, and again, I think there... This, they were they were reaping the seed of the pre, this early harvest, so so but it, but this is an unusual setting uh, that's in, in the ministry of Jesus that doesn't really get repeated until the, after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Okay, stunning. Um, okay, a couple other things. Was it Marty or someone saying, compare this to the visit with Nicodemus? Nicodemus had a one-on-one with Jesus, went out, and what fruit did we, what fruit did we see or hear? Zero. Uh, he kind of he kept it to himself. Samaritan woman, the exact opposite. And now mind you, in society, who would people be more likely to listen to? Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. Um, nothing. Samaritan woman. No one's going to listen to her. An awakening hits Samaria. What a contrast. Great fruit, little noticeable fruit. And that's being generous. One other, yes. Is it possible that uh, Nicodemus had this high reputation that he didn't want to risk 
by embracing Jesus' ministry, whereas this woman... What do I have to lose? (laughs) Yeah, good good thought. Nicodemus had a lot to lose. She had nothing to lose. Matter of fact, she probably became a local hero. Oh, if we hadn't been for you, we wouldn't have known about Jesus. Good, good. So yes, but but here's a reminder to us: Are we inclined to let our reputation get in the way of serving the Lord, or is that just just a problem Nicodemus wrestled with? What would people think? Nicodemus wrestled with that. Samaritan woman never even thought about it. Didn't even think about her water pot. Just, I got to tell people. One other thing I want you to just notice. When Nicodemus said, we know you're um, from God, how do we know that? What did he say? <clears throat> miracles. They saw, he saw, they saw miracles. How many miracles does Jesus perform that we can see in, in Samaria? Yeah. It's like the uh, first quarter of a Cowboys game. I mean, zero. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah. So wasn't that interesting? And, and so in the, this is, God is just so typically turning things upside down. Samaritans, a woman. No, they don't even get a miracle. And yet there's a great awakening. Israel, the teacher, a member of parliament, um, nothing. There's opposition and unwelcome. Matter of fact, he went to Samaria because he was realizing it's time to get out of Judea because the pressures are mounting. So here's the, here's um, Samaria after the encounter. Everybody, you know, just, just, they're all talking about Jesus. And, and did everyone come to faith? No. But oh, a great many came. And, and the seeds were planted for a great awakening later on. Good. Any other thoughts on this passage before we leave it? Yes. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and, uh, and despise. God has chosen the things that are not. You may not apply the things that are. So, yeah, so in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about not many of you have high calling. It's, it's usually the other way around. And you look at, for example, in, um, for example, in the Hindu world, it's usually the, the lower castes or the, the non-castes, the Dalits and such, that, that often have the greatest response of the gospel. Um, whereas the upper, upper class, not as much. And that's true in our culture as well, and most of the time. It's, it's the, the, the less noble that often come to faith most of the time. Not only did the less noble respond, but God uses the less noble to reach yeah, God uses these uh, earthen vessels for his great glory. Yeah. Good. We'll keep thinking about the text and we'll come back on Sunday morning. But uh, let me pray and we'll um, go to our prayer time.
Father, we thank you for uh, this Samaritan woman whom you appointed for grace. And Father, we thank you for the awakening you brought among the Samaritans then. Father, I pray there might be an awakening among the Samaritans today. And there are many parts of the world, Father, that desperately need that Samaritan uh, ministry, uh, an awakening as you gave to them. Father, I think it's time for that and a great need for that in our land as well. We pray your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.